everything is going to burn. I don't know if you'd imagined other ways this world might end. You know, nuclear fallout maybe, solar flare, climate disaster, supervolcano, meteor strike or something. But whether or not any of those things come along, this is how it's all going to end according to the word of God in 2 Peter 3. Everything is going to burn, verse 7. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire. And that doesn't make for very nice reading, we must admit. And nor does it seem that it's avoidable that we come to that end, according to this text. Because, you know, it doesn't matter if, say, Elon Musk leads a remnant of survivors to a new colony on Mars or something, and and from there they, you know, colonize the outer worlds yet to be discovered or whatever. Everything is going to burn including those as-yet-undiscovered worlds, along with Mars and the Moon and the stars and everything else out there in this cosmos. The heavens, verse 7, are also stored up for this fire. There's nothing short of an undoing of the whole creation in this future that's revealed to us here in this text. In fact, this text is full of creation language every time we read that phrase, the heavens and the earth. Well, that's a Hebrewism that simply means everything. You know, the things down here on earth within our reach and, and everything else up there that's not in our reach, beyond us. That This text takes us back to Genesis 1.1 to show us that everything God created. Do you remember Genesis 1.1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And all of it we see here is destined for fire. Because by the same word that created it all, verse 7, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire. And then we're given the reason. The reason that this end is coming for the whole of God's creation. Judgment. Judgment. Being kept until the day of judgment. The destruction of the ungodly. So there's a fire of judgment coming. And no corner of this universe will be safe. We don't give that much thought to this as Christians today, I don't think. I mean, if anything, we probably contemplate, you know, our own judgment personally when we will each appear before God ourselves. But I don't think we really give much time to thinking about this cosmic side of judgment. But here it is in the Word of God. And so it must be good for us and important for us to, to know and to reflect on this. Our first instinct is probably, you know, that we just want to dismiss this idea. There must be some kind of mistake, but we're, we're warned here not to reject it or dismiss it, and, and nor to listen to those who do reject it. Rather, we must listen to this, because actually, the Lord has repeatedly told us this through his prophets and apostles. Verse 1, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved, the Apostle Peter explains. In both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Saviour through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, 
Where is the promise of his coming? Forever since the fathers fell asleep, all, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Scoffers will come scoffing at this idea of the, the judgment. They will deny that this cosmic judgment is, is coming. They'll say things like, there's been no sign of Jesus coming back for this judgment you talk about. Everyone's continuing to live their lives the same way people have always lived their lives. What's the point of all that? What's the point of repenting of our sin, as you say? We might as well just keep doing whatever we want to do, following our own desires. We don't need to give any time to such crazy, outdated notions as the judgment of God that you keep talking about. that That's what they're going to say. And I think Peter's warning is pretty accurate. We are surrounded by exactly that voice in this modern day as much as ever. But Peter points out the error in that mocking voice. And, and again, he takes us back to Genesis, where we remember that a similar judgment has already happened on this earth. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. We can know that God's judgment of sin is real and coming, because it's already happened in such devastating scale as the flood in Noah's day in which all but eight people were wiped off the face of the earth, not to mention the ecological destruction that went along with that. So we can know that this fire is coming because God's position on sin hasn't changed. Judgment is certain. And in fact, that flood in Noah's day, catastrophic as it was, was just a preview, I guess, of the total and the final and the cosmic judgment that's still coming because now it's not just the earth that's going to perish. It's the entire cosmos is going to be dissolved. The word of God that created all things will bring the fire of judgment on all things, the heavens and the earth. But by the same word, verse 7, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. And as I say, this isn't pleasant reading. But I do think it gives us a clearer perspective on sin. We tend to gloss over sin because we're just so used to it, but sin is incompatible with the holiness of God. Sin cannot prevail forever. And it must be judged if God is truly holy and truly in control. And of course, he is, and he is. And so I think this also then gives us a better perspective on God. I mean, we cringe at this revelation because we think it's somehow inconsistent with the God we know, you know, and how loving we, we know him to be. But God is not dodgy love. God is holy love. Sin can only taint love and distort love and ruin love and sour love. and so, so no hint of sin can be found in the kind of love that God intends to bring us into with him. There we will experience only pure, 
holy love. So too, I think this gives us a right perspective on the wider fallout of our sin. Because we only ever seem to think of sin in terms of our own personal comfort. But it's very disturbing here in this text to consider the possibility that, I don't know, even the birds and the rivers and the stars and the cattle and so on and so on, that they might be subject to the fire because of human ungodliness. And yet, just as one example, what have we done over time but make idols out of all of those things and everything else? We've even tainted the dirt of this creation by fashioning idols out of that. We are sick in our sin. We are sick in our sin and our sickness of sin has, has marred and tainted and spoiled God's whole creation. I'm sure this is meant to be disturbing for us to read. Judgment is coming because of our sin and it will be cosmic. The only reason it hasn't already come God's patience. Verse 8 But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord One day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Thank God that he is so patient. Thank God that he waited for you and I to be included in the salvation that he's working rather than, you know, getting fed up with all of this and just cutting it short. Thank God for calling us into repentance when we deserved fire. And so repentance then is the way out of this and the only way out of this as we read in that verse. It's repentance. Nevertheless, that cosmic end must still come. All those who reach repentance under God's patience will survive, but everyone else, verse 9, will perish. The appointed time will come and creation will be put to the fire, just like that. The day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. We cannot know when it will come. And it will take us by surprise when it does come. All that we can know is that it will come. And if not to perish, we must come to repentance in this time of God's patience. And so there is good news in amongst all of this. There is a repentance by God's grace and a a salvation from this fire. And a whole new creation is coming. Verse 13. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. 
Last week we reflected on another fundamental truth of Scripture, that that in our repentance and trust in Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness and salvation that he brings, we are already counted by God right now as new creations ourselves. In other words, this coming judgment where the old creation is going to be put to the fire, it's already passed over you and I. In Christ, we already are counted as new creations. Our sins are not counted against us anymore. Do you remember that teaching? Well, now we see that the coming judgment is not one that we need to be fearful of because we are already part of the new creation that's coming. Once this fire has done its work where it needs to do its work, a whole new creation, a new heavens and a new earth is in store. And in Christ, we are already set aside for that. In this beautiful mystery, it's as if uh, the new creation has broken into this one early, ahead of time. In, In you and I and all who trust in Jesus, the new creation has broken in already. And so this difficult truth about the coming fire of judgment only spurs us on all the more to live as new creations while we wait for the new creation, verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn, But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And since we are already counted as righteous in Jesus Christ and marked for this new creation, we don't need to fear this coming judgment. In fact, I reckon we might well spend our time daydreaming about the new creation. What do you think it will be like, this new creation? Jesus has already shown us a taste of the new creation in his resurrection. His resurrection where, if you recall from the Gospels, he he had a physical body, flesh and blood, just like us, but it was glorious and, and imperishable. He ate and drank with his disciples, so I think we can probably expect much the same. You know, food and wine. And while we're at it, lakes and mountains and wildflowers, the the birds and the cattle and the stars and the rivers again. I think we can assume that those things more or less will be recreated. God who created all those things out of nothing can recreate them all just the same if he wants to. The fundamental difference for the cosmos and the fundamental difference that we can look forward to is that everything and us too will be untainted by sin. Because according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. The new creation will be infinitely better than this creation we know. And the Bible tries to help us and gives us familiar pictures uh, to help us come to terms with it. Homes and banquets and celebrations and, and things like that to help us uh, daydream. But 
so too we are also told of being with angels, of being like angels, of being in the presence of God in his glory. And that is what God has always been working towards, having us in his glorious presence forever. But that will take place in a cosmos where righteousness dwells. And because we know that we're already assigned a place there in the new creation, we know all the more how to live in the meanwhile. I mean, if that's what we're destined for, that's how we should now seek to live. Not dreading that day of judgment, but actually, according to this text, waiting for it eagerly and living as if we could speed its coming. Therefore, we should be diligent while we wait, verse 14, so that when that fire comes, we will be found to be living appropriately for our new calling, living as new creations, ready for the new creation. So this text opens up a healthier perspective for us on us and how we live now, how, how we spend our time and our conversations and our relationships with each other, always with one eye on this glorious future. I mean, why do we always fall into that trap of giving all of our attention and time into, into things that are one day going to dissolve? All kinds of things, you know, bricks and mortar and wardrobes and investment portfolios and so on and so on. Things that may well be good for us and, and God's good gifts to us to some degree, but certainly not worth all of our time, are they? And certainly not worth our idolatry. So here's a question to reflect on for the week ahead. What kind of things could we more fruitfully pour our energy into in, in light of this teaching here. And none of this is to say, of course, that we should be dismissive of this creation or that we needn't care for this creation. On the contrary, we know from other scriptures, of course, and, and all through the scriptures, in fact, that God, well, God loves and cares for his creation, very deeply so. All the beasts of the forests and the birds of the air and the cattle on a thousand hills are his, we read. He feeds the baby ravens. He prepares the rainfall. And he makes the grass grow. And so on and so on. And he tasked us with the role of stewardship over his creation in his image. And so we should continue to do that. Because it glorifies him when we do that and it makes sense of us when we do that. So maybe we could actually take on our mandate all the more thoughtfully in light of this teaching. Maybe as we do uh, tend and care for and govern this creation, we could be thinking and, and training and preparing ourselves for, for eternal lives of service in the new creation and, and thinking of what that will look like. Probably having much of what we love about this creation, but certainly where sin is no more, and instead where righteousness reigns. How good will that be for the cattle and the birds 
and the rivers and the stars and everything else. To have humans living and governing in God's image righteously. It'll be better for the cosmos than we can imagine. Better than we can even understand. You see, we must keep coming back to the reason for this coming fire being our sin. And we wonder why God allowed such sin in the first place. But slowly, as we continue to process that question, we get a new perspective from this teaching of God as Creator, not making us like cold, sterile robots or computer scripts, but neither leaving us to the fire we deserve. As it happens, the best universe wouldn't be one that sin never entered in the first place. The best universe will be the one in which our sin has been redeemed by the love of our Creator, in which we have been saved by His goodness. Glory to God in the new creation, all the more. Our text brings us, too, into a deeper perspective on the ministry of Jesus' apostles, like Peter here writing this letter to us. And the reason they did the things they did. I mean, despite all the beatings and imprisonments and ridicule, the flogging and the suffering and the scoffing and eventually execution that they faced for proclaiming this salvation in Jesus, the reason they kept proclaiming it was because they could see this. They could see the severity of the judgment that's coming cosmic scale and the devastating scale of it. I mean, it only makes sense if you know that's coming to to make sure people hear of salvation. So too, this text opens our eyes up just that little bit wider to the ministry of Jesus himself. Now we can see that as he hung on that cross, suffering and dying to atone for our sin, he was doing it with one eye on this. He was doing it because he knew this is what was coming otherwise. He did that for us so that he could save us from this awful and cosmic judgment of fire. Now we can better comprehend how much he loved and forgave all the sinners, yet paid with his life for their sin. While scoffers looked on, mocking him, just as they continue to scoff at this judgment even now. But praise be to Jesus, who saved us from this fire. We must take proper stock of the warning in this text. We must accept it, we must let it sink in, and we must never let this revelation God has given us of the judgment to come to fall out of our thinking. Because the ignorant and unstable, even within church circles, the ignorant and unstable want to twist these scriptures and carry us away into their destruction. Verse 15, count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand which the ignorant and unstable twist 
to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. There's a beautiful little word and a beautiful glimpse in all of this, how we, little by little, are still being made new. Grow. Grow. In the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. That's a necessary balance to what we learnt and loved last week, of, of having already been declared by God as new. The status is ours, yes, in Christ. We are new creations. And our situation is catching up. We are being made new. We are growing all the more in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because God saves us and then transforms us in readiness for his new creation. So Christian, this is the way for you. Live your life in readiness for the glory that will soon be revealed. And in doing so, you are hastening the coming of that day. You are working towards the new creation with God. And since that involves still others coming to repentance under God's patience, you and I may have the privilege of joining God's purpose by reaching out to them with these warnings and these instructions. You and I cannot turn away the judgment of fire. As much as I'm sure we wish we could, I'm sorry, but you and I cannot turn away the judgment of fire that this earth and these heavens are destined for. But we can declare God's salvation to all who will believe in Jesus Christ, who died to save people from this fire. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. And let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you as always for the scriptures open in front of us. And yet today this is not just hard, this is, this is very uncomfortable, Father. So be with us and help us to process it. And really, Father, one thing we should say is thank you for revealing this to us. As uncomfortable as it is, thank you for revealing this to us. For where would we be if we did not know this was coming? Thank you too, Father, for the promise woven into this of a, of a glorious new creation and for your patience to wait for us and weave us into that new creation. Teach us now, Father, how we respond to this. Teach us how to live in godliness and holiness, waiting for this as part of your new creation right now. And help us to show others this, both your, your warning and your means of salvation here in Jesus Christ. And as always, Lord, we pray all of this in his name. Amen.